Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. My guests on today's podcast hold two crucial roles in the modernization of Division Three athletics. Gerald Rooney is the president at St. John Fisher University in New York. Chuck Matrano is the commissioner of the Empire Eight Conference and the chair of the NCAA Division Three Championships Committee. Our topic, how Division Three leaders are centering the athlete experience around well-rounded mind and body wellness and defining the collective good for all of Division Three. The Empire Eight has one of the strongest presidentially driven governance structures in the nation and has created a culture of accountability and support. The council actively monitors members for quote-unquote viability using metrics developed in-house. This pro proactive approach allows for an early read on what the needs are for the membership. If you've wondered whether it matters if you have a good and strong proactive group of presidents to stabilize a conference, as well as the significance of an engaged commissioner, there is a wealth of good, good information to be had for new presidents and trustees on this podcast. Well, Chuck and Jerry, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Glad to have you here, even though it's a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having us. I truly appreciate it. It's good to be with you, Karen. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. I, th I think one of the things that I want my listener to understand is that there's been a lot of discussion about transformation in Division One. you know, certainly from the Power Five perspective and what it might mean in conference realignment. But there's been less attention paid to Division Three, and I think that we need to correct that assumption. There's almost 435 Division Three institutions in the NCAA, uh, and it's a significant voting block. It's a significant amount of colleges and universities in this country. Where where is Division Three in this transformation process? And Jerry, I'll start with you. What do you, what's your sense of where Division Three as it is at this moment in time? Well, thanks, Karen. I think it's an important question because so much of the national conversation focuses, as you rightly say, on the larger institutions among Division One. So it's not even as robust a discussion to include many of the smaller uh, institutions like ourselves in Division One, let alone in Divisions Two and Three. So for us, it's really a matter of making sure that our collective voice is heard that the voice of our institutions and the importance of the NCAA and our ability to offer competitive intercollegiate athletic programs is heard. That's really where the relationship, I think, of the presidents in our instance and in our conference, I think we have long been uh, driven by presidential leadership together with very strong conference commissioner leadership. So where I think that uh, the president's ability to be articulate about the campus needs tied with the commissioner's ability to carry that voice nationally. And in Chuck's case, we're fortunate to have a commissioner who does have a voice nationally and who's recognized well nationally because of his length of service, but also the quality of that service and his understanding of the key issues. So we've really been spending time talking with him as a president's group focusing on how we can assure ourselves of continuing relevance in these ongoing national conversations. And Chuck, what do those conversations look like? What kinds of information does, do the presidents ask you to bring to the table? You've been in a, in very involved in the NCAA on their finance committee and other committees. 
what kinds of information are they looking for? Well, you know, when you when you talk about transformation, it's it's really critical for us in Division Three because it's been twenty plus years, you know, since we've really um, undertaken this type of review. And you know, just looking at our philosophy statement, it's it's really important for any organization, especially one as large as ours, to evolve to reflect the modern membership and, and the membership's needs. Uh, and you know, we we really haven't been able to do that in a very focused way. So, um, undergoing that process with the philosophy review, and that has really compelled a lot of institutions and members to you know, engage with their campuses and, you know, learn about what's happening. Now, in our case, you know, our presidents uh, have talked about, you know, the changing uh, metrics for enrollable students, let alone student athletes, and how those uh, metrics were coming to a head and were going to change. And, uh, and then, of course, COVID happened, which really, um, for all things, it really exposed a lot of weaknesses, um, not just in higher education, but, you know, you, you saw it with corporate world and, you know, small businesses. And so, you know, we certainly weren't exempt to that. And that has really sort of uh, expedited some of the challenges that institutions are facing. So uh, obviously the NCAA has also gone to go on much change through COVID. Uh, they have changed their CEO, their executive uh, president, uh, Mark Emmert, is stepping down next week. A new face is coming into the NCAA world, Charlie Baker, who's the uh, immediate two-term governor from the state of Massachusetts, a Republican governor in a Democratic state. Uh, his his uh, reputation is a gentleman who can work across the aisle, which I would think is a very important thing. What are your hopes, not, not just from an Empire 8 perspective, Jerry, but from a national perspective, what are your hopes for this new president? I think that I can't uh, separate in some ways the NCAA uh, leadership from the overall direction, Karen, that the organization takes. So really leadership matters so much in every organization. And I think the opportunity of new leadership at this critical juncture in the discussions that the association is having are really very important. So it's important for someone who has a breadth of understanding. It's important for somebody to have the ability to collaborate uh, and to consider all different points of view before coming to conclusions about what the particular direction would be. Again, my hope would be that the new leadership would focus not only on Division I, uh, which is where a lot of the conversation is focused, but as Chuck rightly said, there are things that we haven't talked about for years. The opportunity myself to participate as the president's co committee chair in the uh, chancellor's and president's advisory group of division three. And we started talking about the philosophy statement. It's really so dated as Chuck noted in many ways because we just haven't spent time talking about it. So I think the new leadership has a, a big agenda. There are a lot of priorities on the agenda. And I think it's a matter of being able to work with all levels of the membership to hear the voices of those institutions that comprise each division of the NCAA uh, will be important for us to really uh, make progress in important ways in the tenure of the new leader. But I look forward to the to certainly the uh, opportunity that new leadership brings. 
Can you give us an example, just so if my listeners aren't as familiar with what the, the inside workings are, what are some of those outdated ideas that really you were forced to kind of reconcile with and you're hoping that Charlie Baker can help you um, advance? I think in our case, the uh, it's the philosophy, Karen, that uh, just some of the language was older. I don't have it right here before me, but the the terminology it it didn't have as much to do uh, with the nature of our institutions today. Uh, was the general feeling of the chancellors and presidents uh, in the group that I was participating in? So there are a lot of specific things, but overall, it was just that it had not been updated to reflect really. Today's campuses, uh, the language of our campuses, the experience of our students, and and more general things like that. Chuck, you might be able to add specificity to that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and you know, sort of to to piggyback on that, and what you know, our hopes would be for the new president. I think it's always a challenge for um, the NCA as as a staff um, to really be plugged into what's happening on campuses, um, and that's you know, that's not uh, an intentional thing. That's just the fact that they're not on a campus. And so um, you have to really be uh, very concentrated in making sure that you're um, constantly getting feedback from presidents and from directors of athletics to, you know, understand what their challenges are. And um, I think when you look at that, um, you know, it's important that that philosophy statement reflects the modern campus. Uh, and the modern student athlete. And uh, it, it, it did not do that. Um, it, you know, we're very excited for the opportunity because it is an opportunity to, uh, you know, ensure that we are hitting on all the right topics and uh, providing a path for institutions to put forth legislation that uh, will be beneficial uh, for the student athlete and for the campuses. Karen, I would also add that there is great breadth of institutional type in division three as well, as there is, you know, in each of our divisions, but we have some of the most storied liberal arts uh, institutions in the country that are part of uh, division three. And then we have many institutions that are younger and tuition driven and that are very much in need of athletic programming to help them be successful in today's competitive environment, which Chuck had earlier alluded to. So part of the uh, understanding that we're looking for, I think, as presidents in these conversations is the recognition that even within Division Three, there are a variety of institutions that should be reflected in whatever philosophy statements ultimately develop. Do do either of you have uh, recommendations, suggestions as to how that what that might look like going forward? Uh, Chuck, you said you both sat on these national committees and really understood the complexity of a California conference versus a Texas conference versus a New York conference. What what might some of those suggestions look like? Chuck, I'll start with you. You know, I, I think that you don't want to look at the philosophy statement as an obstacle to growth. Okay. And um, so to that point, I think it has to, you know, be sure that it's giving, uh, you know, it has vision. It's looking at, okay, we're not just reflecting what we look like today, but what we might look like in five and 10 years. And uh, that can be difficult to do, right? Um, so, and I think also, you know, the obligation to student athlete voice, to student athlete well-being, to mental health, 
again, these are areas, particularly mental health, that um, just really don't have a space right now in not only in our policies, but in our philosophy statement. And so, um, you know, it, it, as someone, you know, who has two kids in college and, you know, one in high school, I, I see, you know, the impact that mental health has on them as young people and the amount of resources that campuses are putting forward to support them. And again, it as a membership-driven service, we need to make sure we're reflecting our membership. And uh, so those are critical areas that need to be, um, you know, further investigated and, and proposals need to come forward in these various areas so that the membership can, you know, make important decisions. And I'm... Yeah. Go ahead, Jerry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say to add to Chuck's uh, thought there, Karen, that representation is important, I think, to the presidents in these, yeah. uh, you know, conversations about the philosophy and certainly the student experience uh, needs to be acknowledged in the ways that Chuck uh, mentioned, but also, you know, from a competitive postseason uh, opportunity for these students, you know, that they play for the love of the game at the Division three level and uh, you know, having a uh, robust championship experience is very important. And of course, that ties to some of the economics of uh, how the NCAA operates. So it's really important to have the priorities of those things represented in the philosophy statement, along with the practical things that Chuck noted, in particular, uh, mental health in this period of time. And I know that the Empire Aid has taken a, a real lead, uh, and you proposed, uh, I think it was a legislation or uh, a statement in, in the uh, transformation. How did that uh, come out in the convention? Yeah, I mean, it was tremendously supported, um, and the student athletes uh, and the student athlete advisory committee was very appreciative that that was uh, provided as an opportunity. So it was a resolution which uh, essentially right now you, you have a, a hardship waiver, which really focuses on uh, you know, a physical injury or illness. And uh, a caveat very late in there mentions um, you know, that it could also be for uh, mental, mental health, um, but it was really more an afterthought as, a, as opposed to a very specific directed uh, piece. So what we were seeking to do was number one, make sure that we're acknowledging the importance of mental health and not having it be tied into this other opportunity because very few people even knew it was there, um, but also create a, uh, you know, a hardship waiver opportunity for mental health that took into account the challenges and the nuances of mental health challenges and uh, compared to those of a physical injury. You know, if you break an arm, it's very clear, it's very evident. Um, if you're struggling with mental health, you know, there's a stigma that student athletes often don't even want to acknowledge themselves that they may have it. And so it's, they're very, very different, but um, extremely important because the statistics show from the recent study that student athletes are still going through and will continue to go through uh, a lot of mental health challenges in higher mm -hmm. education. Makes sense. Makes sense. I feel like it's what I hear. The number one thing I hear about these days. And in fact, this, the divisions one, two, and three SAC just came out. The student athlete advisory council just came out with uh, a statement that addresses mental health from, from a national perspective. So you're clearly getting a lot of support from the student athletes as well in this. So it's nice to see a united front in, in this particular area. 
And I think the students are really very interested in our own institutions carrying that forward to Karen from a developmental standpoint and just from a recognition of it. So the conversations on campus are not just about providing services, but they're getting to the point of really trying to encourage conversation and people to talk about mental health, because as Chuck noted, coming out of the pandemic, and it was a, it was, you know, something that colleges and universities needed to deal with before, you know, the time in a person's life that they spend in college, uh, you want it to be a wonderful experience, but there is a lot that goes on, uh, you know, people who have experiences that create anxiety or that, you know, exacerbate concerns that they had in coming in. And so we need to be attentive to that. And I think one of the things that the pandemic has done is to make it okay to talk about that. So I think that's reflected really in the SAC uh, efforts of moving that forward. And as uh, Chuck said, there's really growing receptivity to that so that the uh, convention mental health hardship waiver was really, I think, a step forward for our students. Well, it was an ex- excellent initiative. And Chuck, you were on one of my earlier podcasts and we talked in detail about it. So I'm really glad to hear that the membership uh, aligned behind you. One of the things that I, when I talk with folks, I've tried to flesh out is we hear a lot about the transformation Division One Transformation Committee. Was there a sec a committee for the Division Three transformation process, where there was a standalone committee, or is this a collective working together by the commissioners and the presidents, or is it something else? Yeah, it was really the the NCAA Division Three leadership: Luis McCleary, Bill Regan, uh, Jeff Myers. They they created various subcommittees that examined various different areas. Uh, within the division. And um, that was a very diverse, very well-represented advisory group. And um, so each of those committees examined their particular area. They came forward with any, uh, you know, suggestions. There was a lot of surveying. There was a lot of roundtabling. And, you know, so that is the process that we followed, which I, you know, I think was really positive and beneficial. Um, you know, but ultimately, really, um, you know, the, the proposals that came forward from the membership are are the ones that will ultimately, you know, move us in the direction, um, you know, that that best suits us. You know, our proposal uh, with our sponsors for representation on management council and president's council, that's critical um, because this division is so large and so diverse. And if institutions and conferences are not getting equitable access to those committees, right. uh, the membership really isn't being heard. Um, they all have one vote, one vo- you know, one voice, one vote, um, but that's really where the hard work is done. And so it's great that, um, you know, that proposal passed and, you know, everyone will have equitable representation on those councils. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry, talk a little bit about what that means to somebody like you who's already been serving. How does how does that uh, impact your um, continued voice in the process? I think it's really important, Karen. Going back to something that I said before, the representation is so important because of the diversity of conferences and institutions at our level. So, really, as Chuck and I have spoken, it's that each conference have the ability to be represented in these discussions because there is great diversity, as you noted. You have California, you have New York, you know, you have the NESCAC, you have 
all of these different types of institutions. You know, we have state universities represented in New York in particular conferences. And so while it's all common uh, in terms of the experience in so many regards, there are so many unique aspects that uh, just having representation to inform the conversation is really important. And to go back to leadership, think that the leadership's understanding of that diversity of perspectives of institutions of experiences is really one that needs to be taken into account. So the best way I think for us to accomplish that is to have each conference as Chuck would, uh, you know, has helped me to understand, be represented at the table and in the conversations. That's how we're going to come to the greatest collective understanding of what the points of commonality are, which is what we're looking for. We're not looking to be different, but through the differences that we each have, we're looking to come to a comprehensive understanding of how these policies develop and grow and how the, the conference evolves or how the, uh, the division evolves, excuse me. So let me dive a little bit deeper on that. So one of the outgrowths from the Supreme Court case in 2021, which the NCAA uh, read to mean a, a possible assault on the antitrust laws for the organization, was that more needed to be pushed down to the conferences in terms of setting rules. And, and uh, one of the things that uh, they felt they would be insulated from against antitrust um, attacks would be if each conference as a group of like-minded schools set up their own um, eligibility, governance, policies, restrictions on different kinds of things. Has that idea floated uh, floated to Division Three yet? Would, it, would there ever be a situation where each conference, again, so different, so wide ranging, would sort of set their own path first and then work collectively nationally? Or is that just, is that something that's just division one in your opinion? It really is primarily division one. Um, okay. we, we've had uh, you know, a few conferences in division three who have been more restrictive and they've done that for years. Okay. Um, and so every conference, every institution has the ability to be more restrictive in their policies or their practices. Um, in Division Three, we found that it, as large and diverse as we are, we really have a lot of agreement on, um, you know, a lot of these key issues. Um, so, you know, I do think that there will be some movement in that direction. You know, I think a lot of that may end up being a byproduct of what happens with Division One. Mm -hmm. um, because that will largely dictate uh, what type of resources are available to us through the NCAA based on any staffing changes that may occur, because Division One is, you know, certainly looking to become more autonomous in a lot of those areas. Yeah, yeah. Jerry, do, do you uh, think that Division Three is waiting to be to waiting to react to what Division One decides to do? Is it sort of a sit and wait, or do you feel like you have the power to to step forward and take your own path? I think we can uh, step forward, Karen. But I think you know you have to acknowledge the reality of the uh, organization as it stands. So really, I think the division, the major division one institutions are driving a lot of, uh, the national conversation in that regard. And I think those things will cascade down, uh, to division three at the same time, we don't want to just be observers of the process. So finding ways that we can become involved in it around issues that are important for us to, uh, both maintain and to help us evolve as institutions and conferences is important, but, 
I do think that it's being driven primarily from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. Chuck, I don't know if you would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I I certainly would agree. And, um, you know, I do think that over time you will, you know, probably see a little bit more of that adopted within the division. Um, Mm -hmm. But but again, you know, we already have that ability as, as institutions and conferences and others have certainly exercised that. You know, I think when you you look at it, it probably would be more service driven as opposed to policy driven, mm-hmm. meaning that in Division Three, you know, because we're largely enrollment driven institutions, you know, we we tend to not want to have too many additional restrictions, right. uh, because that that impacts you know the ability to you know enroll student athletes to provide them the services that they need, and. Um, you know, keep doors open in a lot of cases, which is obviously really important. Right, right. Yeah. In fact, I was aware that there was a major presentation at the at the National Convention about enrollment-driven institutions and, and different strategies that these institutions were trying to learn from each other. Because yeah. athletics plays such a crucial role on so many campuses. On some campuses, as much as 50% of the population are athletes. So is there a sense that the, the NCAA moving forward has really got to respect the, the enrollment possibilities and all this as well, Jerry? I think so, Karen. In our own, uh, I've been at Fisher for 25 years now and had the opportunity before serving as president to be a divisional vice president overseeing intercollegiate athletics. And it was really uh, the development of athletics, both from a program and facilities perspective. It's very much tied to institutional growth strategies that have helped us to become the institution overall that we are today. And as part of that, there was the growing success of those intercollegiate athletic programs too. So for institutions like ours, which in our instance, we're about 90% tuition driven, which is really very heavy reliance, We have about 750 rostered student athletes of about 2,600 full-time undergraduates competing in one of 25 intercollegiate division three athletic programs, primarily through the Empire Eight Conference, but in some other conference affiliations in certain sports as Chuck could further articulate. But it's really important as we look at our growth institutionally for us not only to consider academic program development, which of course is foundational to the enterprise as an academic institution, but it's what other things that we do can help to support the success of students in those academic programs and serve to attract students to our institutions, which is very important for us. So for us, athletics hasn't been the only strategy. Uh, You know, we've obviously added a lot of academic programs through the years, but it's been a very important strategy for us. And I know that it is from our conversations around the Empire A table and in my conversations with other small Division III tuition-reliant institutions as well, especially as we look ahead and see some of the demographic challenges that we're going to face nationally, which are exact you know that are really uh, going to play out differently regionally and our region the mid-atlantic kind of the northeast uh, side of the country has a lot of competition it also is not projecting robust growth in the number of traditional aged high school graduates so institutions are really uh, collaborative and they are willing to get together and talk about those strategies and our conference has certainly done that at meetings of the president's chuck most recently the last one that we had this was a topic that uh, that we do. And then we also work with our ADRs 
and with our ADs, you know, together with the, the commissioner uh, to carry forward some of those conversations too, because those folks are more intimately involved day to day in that activity. Yeah, that's a great. Chuck, you've been the commissioner, what, for over 20 years of the Empire 8, is that right? What, how have you noticed this emphasis shifting in that period of time? Well, you know, I, I really feel that for us, very early on in my tenure, we, we made sure that we had that presidential leadership. And, um, you know, sadly, there's still some conferences that don't have that, um, even though it is a requirement. And, and I think that's really vital. Uh, because I've learned so much from those discussions that the presidents have, whether it be formal or informal. Yeah. And um, I do seek to learn as much as I can about the challenges that they're facing so that I can be an advocate and, and you know, and help, you know, problem solve and see what we can do nationally to, to try to position institutions. And so, you know, St. John Fisher is really a, a great case study in in enrollment management and uh, and how they have built their athletics program back in the 90s that you know there was really some concern as to whether or not they'd have their doors open yeah and um you know then they they hired president rooney here in, in enrollment <laughs> management they had Catherine keogh who really you know had great vision and um to see the growth the steady growth the the intentional growth um, and not just in the enrollment, but again, as Jerry has said, in the support that they provide uh, for student athletes. And, and that really is, um, it's been great to observe and to learn through that process as well. And, um, you know, I think that there are many institutions like St. John Fisher that are, um, you know, hoping to grow in, in a similar fashion. And so, um, you know, there's right ways to do it. And there's, ways are going to be more challenging to do it, but, uh, you know, they've done it the right way. And, um, you know, I think it's important as a commissioner, as an executive to be plugged into those challenges. Yeah, absolutely. We see that, we see that in Pennsylvania too, because uh, mm -hmm. Pennsylvania does not lack for small private colleges anywhere mm -hmm. in the state. And they're facing some of the similar challenges that New York is facing that Connecticut and Massachusetts and others are facing. And it really is requiring quite a, a joint lift, which is interesting for institutions because they're used to being very independent and to being able to think independently. The Empire Eight strikes me as a conference that has tried to think more collectively than maybe other conferences do. And to, that strikes me as being a strength. Um, Jerry, how would you uh, uh, respond to that? I agree uh, very much, Karen. And I think it's led by both right out of the uh, start of the conference, there was presidential engagement, yeah. as Chuck noted. And then there was a commitment on the part of the institutions to not only hire a commissioner, but to hire someone who would be able to lead us forward and to support, in our case, Chuck in his work. So that I do think that there really is collaboration, which is, uh, as you note, very often we're competing, and obviously in this realm that we're talking about today, athletics competition is every bit as you know a focus of our institutions as it is. But at an institutional macro level, we really are interested in the vitality of the conference. We're interested in helping each other to the degree that we can to identify opportunities of other institutions who might join us. We're looking for ways that we can help each other to understand what's been successful in each of our own environments. So uh, higher ed, that's one of the things that I really love about the industry is that it is more of a collaborative enterprise 
that looks for the common good and looks for the good of, uh, you know, every individual student about where they'll be best served, the opportunities that might help them best to grow and develop. And certainly uh, athletics is one of those. And I think athletics has really, it's one of the only areas where we, um, I think collaborate as well as we do. There are other, you know, types of organizations across our campus where we're into collaborative engagement. But this one is one where that's really expressed and is part of a larger national organization, which circling back to the beginning, I think is why it's so important for these conversations that are going on to include both represented the representation and the perspective of Division Three institutions and to recognize the breadth and diversity of the conferences that we have. Yeah, I, I would say that it's your conference is one of the most stable conferences that I have seen alongside the New England Small College Athletic Conference, mm -hmm. New Jersey Athletic Conference, the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, that there's not been a lot of membership change in, in these conferences, but other conferences have really struggled. I don't think people are aware how much uh, conference realignment has gone on in some Division Three conferences because of these very reasons, because of enrollment, because of finances, because of competitive equity, all of these things have made mm -hmm. a difference. Chuck, how have you tried to navigate the ship, if you will, throughout this period of great um, uncertainty for some folks? Yeah, I mean, we certainly have had, you know, our fair share of, of some movement as well. And, um, you know, that's it's something, honestly, um, you know, for, for me, I know the, the talk lately has been a lot about this, the landscape of college conferences and the yeah. movement. And it's largely been you know, focused on division one, but, uh, you know, for us, it's been constant and ongoing. I mean, there isn't a president's meeting or an athletic director meeting or ADR meeting where we're not talking about, you know, uh, membership issues and the challenges mm -hmm. we face. And, um, you know, we, we, we are monitoring our own institutions in terms of, you know, viability um, in a way that I don't think any others are currently doing. And mm -hmm. that's been incredibly helpful. Um, you know, that's something that Jerry and I had talked about for a couple of years and, you know, we felt, Hey, we really need to find, you know, some metrics that really will make sure, you know, that we understand the positions that our institutions are in and what our membership needs may be. And that's been really, uh, beneficial. Can you give me an example of a couple of those metrics that you use? Yeah, I think, you know, we've tried to decide on things, Karen, that are uh, not too invasive uh, or, you know, not uh, intrusions, but we look at, a, at several key metrics that are publicly reported, you know, to iPads or some other federal reporting uh, organizations. And so we look at viability ratios. Um, Chuck, are there three now that we're looking at in particular? Yeah, financial responsibility, um, the DSCR, I, I don't know what the acronym is, uh, um, but I do know that we, uh, you know, we monitor that. Um, and then, you know, obviously a number of other uh, areas that would, you know, as best as we can kind of give us the pulse um, for institutions. And it, ha it has been helpful and it's been, uh, you know, something that the presidents, you know, really have uh, appreciated and, uh, have found it to be a great resource. There are many institutions that are struggling, Karen, in today's environment. There are closures and mergers that you hear spoken about, you know, frequently today. 
uh, you know, in both the industry publications, but also more broadly than that. So as Chuck and I talked, it's really important for us to have a sense of the financial strength of the institutions who are part of the conference, because it ties, as you know, to AQs and, you know, competitive um, conferences overall. And so uh, we've really had a great response to that on the part of the presidents. We have a subcommittee of which Chuck and I are part and then with a few other uh, member presidents looking particularly at those metrics, we share them with the membership. And then we have conversations with those campuses where we think it's appropriate. And the institutions themselves have been very forthcoming and the conference I think has benefited overall with a, an understanding of how we're doing, you know, or if there are institutions that may be at risk from a strategic perspective. Uh, Chuck is able to handle that with whoever the president is, who is the chair of the president's conference, which at the moment uh, is me, until uh, June. So we've had some good conversations, he and I, just strategically and looking forward about our need to continue to identify institutions who might join us, who are you know in the region and who might, uh, if we would need that or if we want to strengthen our own conference, we've looked at that strategically as well. And I think and that's I a, really, a great idea. I really like that. Yeah, go yeah. ahead, Chuck. Yeah, no, just to kind of go back, I think, you know, and Karen, you you mentioned this, that we seem to have a collaborative uh, spirit in our conference. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that, you know, we're really proud of is that we really do have a collegial and supportive culture. And that's been very intentional uh, at, at virtually every level of our conference. Um, mm -hmm. As much as we are competitors, we are also there to support one another, um, to demonstrate respect for and appreciation of. And so um, there's a lot of collaboration. Uh, and I know in other conferences, that's not the case. Um, it wasn't the case when I first came in. It was, this is my piece of the pie. And, and if this doesn't benefit me and it helps you, I don't want it to be implemented. <laughs> Um, right, right. It's true. No, it's true. It's that's the reality. And yeah. there, there are many, many conferences like that. And so, you know, I think it's really important for everyone to understand that um, you can achieve a lot more when you're uh, unified and you're working together, collaborating mm -hmm. for the greater good. And, you know, I really do think it's benefited the institutions. So my last question is, is the big unknown, and this is about what new president, uh, NCAA president Charlie Baker is faced with, and, and many people seem to uh, in, opine that his job is to get Congress to do what the NCAA wants them to do, which is to get a national NIL piece of legislation, federal legislation that standardizes NIL across all 50 states. But also, <clears throat> I think in the perfect world, they would like a partial antitrust exemption as well. It's a big ask, and I'm wondering what you folks think about that. Well, it certainly is a big ask. Um, you know, specifically when you look at sort of the most recent uh, cases with the national labor laws and the potential of student athletes, you know, becoming uh, employees. You know, I know it's largely focused on Division One right now, and and you know, a few sports. But the reality is. Um, you know, there's no reason to think that that couldn't be projected out to division three. Now, I feel very comfortable in our position because I think our model is the best model. Um, you know, we are very intentional about making sure that student athletes have time to themselves to pursue other things 
that enhance their educational experience. Um, whether it be work, whether it be being part of a club, whether it be you know uh, doing internships or going overseas to study, whatever their interests may be, they they have the ability to do that. They truly are students first. And um, again, as someone who has a, a son in Division Three and a son in Division One, uh, my son in Division One is very envious of the model that my son in Division Three is enjoying. So. Um, to me, that speaks volumes, and uh, I think it would be really interesting to see, you know, if that were to come to fruition where Division One athletes were to be considered employees, uh, what metric would that be based on? Because if it's based on the amount of time they're spending in their sport, well, it's not just basketball and, and football players that are doing that. And so yeah. it's a really um, interesting and complex issue uh, but certainly the NCAA and and the institutions would love to see uh, some sort of federal uh, movement that would provide some parameters and protections um, I think there needs to be a lot of education at the local level um, uh, and at the state level um, so that those views can be represented nationally um, it's it's really a fascinating case to observe. Yeah, and I think from my perspective, if you look at New York alone, Karen, you have every division represented and you have a common state legislature that uh, was considering some of these uh, items around NIL, you know, over the last couple of years. So there really is, I think, great need for education and clarification to help those who would be in the position of actually making a decision on things like that to understand the complexity of the question, it's really so broad. And I think as Chuck rightly notes, it's focused you know, more at the division one, but it, you could imagine someday that it might cascade down. I really do think that the beauty of the divisions today is that there's an opportunity for institutions to participate in competitive athletics at a level that they deem best for the institution. And for the students that they have the opportunities to serve. And so from my perspective, I would always want to preserve that opportunity. Uh, and I think it it justifies and needs differentiation because institutions choose to go about that differently yes. for whatever reason. It might be within their mission. It might be because of their financial circumstances. It might be because of history. But uh, to leave uh, some room for variation or differentiation uh, within a division, even as we strive to get a collective understanding or perhaps collective under, you know, uh, legislation is a real challenge for uh, our new leader. And uh, certainly I think, you know, he will be up to it, but I, I do think education is a big part of that and building further understanding of the topics that we're actually considering for the benefit of those who will be in a position to decide upon it one day is really essential. Well, President Rooney and Commissioner Metrano, I, I can't thank you both enough for taking time out of your schedules to talk with my listeners about the unique opportunities and challenges facing uh, Division Three, particularly at the conference level. So thank you both for, for sharing some time with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Karen, thanks for your leadership in this conversation and for cascading this information out and continued success to you. Thank you. Yes, thanks for the opportunity, Karen, as always. I appreciate it. No worries.